Welcome to another episode of Storyteller Studio, where we're gathering our lives through genuine conversations and gladly sharing them with folks around the world. As radio announcers, Liz and Tim believe there's something very special about being behind a microphone and letting their hair down. Sometimes people just need a reason to enjoy each other, either again or for the very first time. And we found plenty of others who feel the same. From artists, sports figures, and manufacturers, to filmmakers, authors, and media types, we all may know bits and pieces about a person, but there's always something more. So while we grab our headphones and turn up the mics, it's your chance to eavesdrop on yet another episode of Storyteller's Studio. Hi, this is Tim with a little pre-show visit. More than once a week, I'm asked why I put so much time and effort into our podcast shows. The short answers are I don't play golf, and I've already seen every episode of Seinfeld. The real answer is that I'm truly fond of the art of conversation, and I continue to be curious and entertained by my guests' stories. Here's yet another example. I hope you enjoy my chat and the music of inspirational country singer-songwriter Steve Bridgman. Good morning and welcome to Storyteller Studio. We are still on the road in Nashville, Tennessee, and it is pouring down the rain again. Yeah. We maybe had three hours of reprieve, and that is about it. And by the way, we are at the Hampton Hotel in the lobby, because that's where I'm staying. And my guest today was on his way to a tax appointment. He yeah. goes, you're right on my way. <laughs> yep. And I go, oh, this is perfect. We didn't really have to look too far to be able to set up a time and a place. Now, we have known each other a grand total of probably 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. And that's probably 10 minutes now and five minutes about three or four months ago. Yeah, standing outside the Grand Old Opera House. Yeah. And if there's ever one of those stories where, well, how'd you guys meet? Right. Oh, we've got it for this yeah. instance. But yeah. usually you don't, no. you know. Right. Steve was standing over to the side, and I was taking pictures. The media was there, the red carpet, the photo backdrops, the whole nine yards. I had some friends, Janelle and Terry Carter from River Road Trio, and a brand new friend, Abby Thomas, that I just met that morning over biscuits and gravy. Mm. And I see this guy... And he sort of has like five women standing around him, like you're <laughs> like you're a, a Boy Scout master telling a story. Right. Right. And then all of a sudden they disappear. Right. And then there's another five or six people. Right. And you kept doing this. It was like moving from pod to pod. And I go, right. I got to find out what this guy's about. Right. So tell me the story that you told me about your bow tie tattoo. So. Sometimes I forget it's really there. I do have a bow tie tattoo, and that's sort of what I'm known for. And now I have my own production company called Bowtie Country. <laughs> and so I've been in Nashville for eight years, but I didn't live too far away. I lived about two hours. So I was sort of in the music business um, on the gospel music side of things. Okay. And uh, right about 2012, 2013, I decided to sort of take a step away from doing the whole gospel music thing. And I decided I was going to do my last big hurrah. This is my last chance at country music. You had it in your head that it was going to be the finale? It was going to be the, it was going to be like the thing that I was getting older and I know that there's a window age wise for, you know, to become something of merit in country music basically is what I was thinking. Okay. So if I'm going to do this, I need to do it now. So I retired from teaching 
way early, mm-hmm. and took off to Nashville. Literally had two hundred dollars in my bank account. I got a hotel room. I started a new job on the Monday after Thanksgiving, and I was absolutely oh, the man. craziest person on the planet. <laughs> like seriously, if you would, I would, if I would have told you I'm where I'm at now, I would have been like, "What are you talking yeah. about?" In in what kind of time frame? I decided I was going to leave public education and then was like it within a month i packed everything up put it in storage no but how long ago was this 2000 and i actually left in 2016 okay so it's been eight years ago okay all right seven and almost eight years gives me a time frame right this is the craziest story really i mean i'm I'm serious (laughs) no this doesn't happen to people and And by the way this is a little bit more than what you told me originally with the bow tie okay so which is great when i first got to town didn't know anybody, didn't have a clue what I was doing. Well, I noticed, and you were over there last night, one, a friend of mine um, was going to be at, she was from uh, Sa- Sacramento, mm-hmm. uh, California, so she was going to be at the Troubadour, and I had met her years ago when I was like 19, 20 years old, and she was in Christian country music. Whoa. So I decided I was going to go to the Troubadour, and I was going to watch her on a Sunday morning. Okay. I don't even, thank God they didn't charge admission, because I probably <laughs> didn't have any cash on me to do it. And I show up, and she said, hey, we've got this thing where we're doing an inspirational country music, looking for new artists, and I know you're a great singer. You should do this. And I was like, they don't want me. Secretly, I was like, well, maybe. I yeah. But I had recorded an album and never put it out. What? Yeah. How, do, had, you, how do you do that with somebody being behind you to cut the album? Well, I had from my gospel music days, I had a group of guys that went to Belmont that would drive to Kentucky, and they would s- sing with me on the weekends. Okay. So they decided, that they were getting ready to graduate, they decided it wasn't for them anymore. I think they were just in it for to get paid on the weekends, basically, which is, that's a college kid for you. Yeah, yeah. So at that point, we had all these songs that sort of had this country edge to it that was going to be on that next album. Well, then... What ended up happening is the producer that I was working with out of Nashville, because I was still living in Kentucky, said, I think you ought to do a solo album. And I said, oh, no way. Gospel music does not. They don't. That audience doesn't like soloists. I oh. mean, that's just was my thing. Okay. The same day. I'm getting to the bow tie. <laughs> the same day. Do you see Robin's Barn over there? We're yeah. going all the way around yeah. Robin's Barn, which is ideal. Right. This is exactly what I want. So the the <laughs> same, the cheap texted me that night. I think you ought to do a solo album. I think it'll be great. I think radio would love it. And I was like, there's no way. Hmm. So then, so next, was this just in your head? This was that they just, didn't. Yes, it like was so in my was. head. So okay. this, in the, on the gospel music side of things. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. So, because that sort of was where I was at in that space. So the next morning, I got a call from the entertainment director. Of a Los Angeles Lakers at the Staples Center. What? Called me and said, hey, I found your YouTube video of you singing the national anthem. Come on. Would you like to come to Los Angeles in April and sing the national anthem at the Lakers game? This is how they recruit people by random YouTube and pick up the phone? Actually, no. She had a cancellation. Somebody that was somebody famous, I'm sure, ended up going on vocal rest and i know who the person is i don't want to name their name because no, okay um, i appreciate she that. used to be a, on the voice as a, a judge so okay maybe that much i will narrow that one right. down <laughs> so um but she ended up in <clears throat> vocal rest and they just sort of got really desperate oh. and i think that there was a connection there um had a friend out there in la named rich mcintyre who had sort of dropped my name to her because i'd gone on tour with them wow. to to europe i did two european tours that's a whole other podcast so um <laughs> 
that's the magic of planting seeds. Yeah. So I actually ended up, I actually wrote a book called Three Things I Need From You. And that's another podcast again. And so, <laughs> so we ended up, I flew to how, LA. How old are you? Because you sound like you got about 80 years worth of I'm, stuff I'm in you. I'm 52, but everybody okay. thinks I'm like 32. So okay. it's kind of strange. Yeah. Right? But experience wise, right. you're 82. Right. So yeah. my, my publicist always says, never tell your age ever. And I said, okay. <laughs> So I fly to L.A. and everything was the, but it actually ended up being the night that Shaquille O'Neal's jersey was being retired. Oh. So he was there. Everybody, everybody was there. It was one of those things where I'm just going to roll with it. So every doubt, I don't know if you've ever stood in center court oh, yeah. at Staples Center. Not at, at Staples at, Center, at, but the Los Angeles court. Lakers where yeah. uh, Kobe is literally 25 feet away from you or less. Oh. And sang the national anthem when tw- a sold-out crowd, mind you, 21,000 people are all eyes on you. They put your stuff up on the screen underneath of your face. Okay. So when I left there, I had more than 4,000 friend requests on my Facebook. Whoa. And Instagram really wasn't a thing then. So wow. that's sort of what kicked off my career a little bit. And then... I started getting a lot of followers, and then I decided that when I made the decision, okay, we're going to do this album, because <laughs> all the self-doubt of me have just went away when I sang the National Anthem at the Lakers game. Well, and your other guys are ready to hang it up, too. Well, so you yeah, were but, taking you know, advantage of having them, right? They came a-knocking after that. Oh. And I was like, you know oh. what? Maybe we ought to do this solo album after all. <laughs> so I did the solo album. <laughs> so I, I love the voice, right. because that's... <laughs> That's what people do when they have the tail tucked between their legs. Right. Maybe we should do right. this. So I ended up <laughs> going, did, did the album. Okay. And then I didn't do anything with it. Like I just left it there because I didn't know how to market it at all. So okay. fast forward a couple of years, 2016. Okay. Because that was in 2013 when I did the anthem. I go, I, come, I moved to Nashville. I go to the Troubadour. I meet my friend and she says, let's go. You should come do this. She called it a showcase, is what she called it. Okay. Well, it ended up being a contest. No oh. clue. So I drive to <laughs> right, Sevierville, Tennessee, actually, is where it was. Oh, my cousin so, lives there. Oh, I, yeah. I am very familiar with Sevierville. So it ended up being in Inspirational Country Music Association, who now I work with on the daily. It's kind of strange. Mm-hmm. I go to this thing. Well, didn't know anybody there. Marty Rabin from Shenandoah was one of the judges. Well, I ended up winning it. No clue that it was a contest. Like fish in a frying pan? Right. And the next day, the song that I sang that night was being broadcast by Facebook Live. It's It was called Angels by Another Name. The next Monday, I got a call from a DJ down in Louisiana that says, I love that song you sang. Can you please send me that? Do you have it recorded? I was like, actually, I do. It's on the album that I recorded that I've never done anything with. My that song went number one on 21 different charts over the next year. It was nuts. Yes, absolutely. You couldn't pay for that. Then I was in Florida right before the song went number one, and my very best friend Nathan and I were at TJ Maxx, and he said, you know what you ought to do? You ought to start wearing bow ties. That ought to be your thing as a bow tie. Okay. So a couple months later, I'm at an interview, and this guy who's been on Music Row for years and years, who He's no longer there, but he looked across the table at me in an interview live. This was a live thing. And oh, he said... Was it on the radio? It was on the radio. Okay. He said, there are no bow ties in country music. You don't belong here. I don't know what you're trying to do. What? 
And I said, I'm just trying to stand out is what I'm trying to do. But, but um, I mean, how rude can you? It was pretty. I mean, obviously, the conversation came to a screeching halt. Well, I just kind of laughed it off because there's a demographic age of gentlemen. I'm in that demographic mm-hmm. that sort of don't want the anti-bro country, the anti, right? And they're just like, bring back hate, (laughs) you know? And and I'm just like, that's great, but the only people who are listening to Hank still are got one from the grave. I mean, it's, it's we all love niche. Hank. I mean, I don't need to, right? And yeah. I love Hank Williams Jr. and I love, uh, and I know his son very well. And so I, I'm not dissing anybody. I'm just saying that music changes over time. Right. Fast forward a little bit and went number one. I get nominated by the Inspirational Country Music Association for their new artist of the year. Oh. At my. the Grand Old Opry, Mo right. Pitney was hosting that night. Come on. Right. This is where they bring up that phrase of, ooh, you're an overnight success. This is what it sounds like. Yeah, it was crazy. It was the nuttiest thing that's ever happened to me. Things are still nuts and crazy. And so there's a whole other backstory in 2000 and I'm going to try to get it right, around 2014, 2015, my sister was diagnosed with glioblastoma brain cancer. Oh. She called me up and said, there's three things I need from you. Oh. Name of the book. I need you to get out of Kentucky. I need you to get on with your education and your music career. I need you to stop being so fat. Wow. Because I was a big boy. I was like 310 pounds. And so that was the motivation I needed to get out of Kentucky. Wow. She shook your cage. Yeah. And so she passed away in 2020. Four days later, my dad died from COVID. Four days? Four days. Come on. I was on my way to my sister's funeral in a Dallas airport. My dad passed away and I got the call. It was pretty brutal. Things don't happen to you in moderation, apparently. No, no, it's nuts. No. And so then I wrote the book last year. Um, It's done really well. Amazon, you know, that sort of thing. But it's mostly just like my followers and people that read it, really. But I get a lot of people that say, oh, my gosh, I feel like I know you better because I don't open up to people a lot of times. So So what's the general niche of the way you attack the book? What, What is the book about? It was about my sister's journey through glioblastoma. But every other chapter were stories about us growing up and oh. adventures. And then the oh. other, every other chapter from there was her, her fight with glioblastoma yeah. and the so, journey that we took. The yeah, so people can make the parallels with right. the childhood stuff right. and then build right. the bridge on the current stuff. Yeah, and I knew nothing nice. about writing a book. Absolutely nothing. Well, join the club. <laughs> I mean, that doesn't keep you from doing it. <laughs> I had no yeah. idea what I was doing. <laughs> I, I mean, how many times have you heard, of course, you're in the community now, right. I didn't know anything about songwriting. Right. I didn't know anything. I didn't have too much money in my pocket, blah, blah, blah. Well, you have to start somewhere. Right. That right. separates the men from the boys For Sure. where you're going to sort of pull yourself up by the bootstraps and go, I'm going to do this. Right. Because there's a 100% chance of failure if I sit at home two states away yes. and don't do it. Right, yeah. And, and I think that was the that was the real kicker was she knew she was terminal. I need for you to get on with your life because I'm not going to be able to get on with mine. And it was just really a hard, and now here we, her son at the time was like nine. Now he's 19. He goes to Belmont a mile and a half from me. He grew up in Texas. They, oh, they were in Texas. Great. So he's right around the corner from me every, lives in the dorm. Good for you. And he's a music kid oh and he's uh, killing on, he's killing on tiktok as a whole other thing so wow. so fast forward we're at the grand old opry house i win new artist of the year i win the award i get up and i say and the guy obviously was in the audience who told me that there were no bow ties allowed <laughs> in country <laughs> music so good and i said well it looks like there is bow ties in country music for good wow and i went the next morning 
to the tattoo parlor and I had it tattooed on my chest. Did you right really? The next, the next morning? Um, that is no joke. The next morning. And the tattoo artist is going, ah, uh, you got to tell me why. They and all, everybody loved it. They all, they all, every tattoo artist in the place was like, this is a, never heard of this. This is a great idea. Yeah. And then I told them the whole backstory, and like, oh, this makes it even more in your face about it. And then you went to the clothing store right after that and bought a bunch of V-neck t-shirts. A bunch of V-neck t-shirts. <laughs> I is, sure did. That yeah. is so good. I usually wear them at award shows and stuff like that, wow. which is where I met you. Yes. <laughs> Josie. Yes. Yeah, the Josie Awards are for independent music artists. Yes. They have a bunch of categories, mm -hmm. so you can be very niche-oriented. I know I'm going to get the numbers wrong, but generally speaking, they will have six to eight nominees in each of these categories, but they start out with nearly 60,000 applicants. Yeah. yeah. There is every walk of life you can imagine. Yeah. There is every guest for some of these nominees that you could ever imagine. Right. It is like walking into the Star Wars cantina. Yes. It's everything you could possibly imagine, right. which was the cool part of that show. Mm -hmm. I went in completely blind mm -hmm. because uh, Janelle and Terry said, hey, why don't you come down? Right. Okay, all right, I got nothing else to do. Right. And then all those other dominoes fell, not mm -hmm. only with you, but Abby and Janelle. Yep. And it has been absolutely nuts to quote you with what Nashville has done for me on two trips in what four months right you can't see it coming no. which is sort of good thank goodness somebody else sees it coming yeah it's just <laughs> crazy I mean in fact my first experience with the Josies was I was nominated with um in a collaboration song that I did right after Angels whenever that went number one was a song called You Can Always Come Home and that was with Ali Colleen Brooks who was Garth Brooks's daughter Oh my. And so we had that song go number one as well. So I was right out of the gate, number one, number one, in a row, two in a row. Wow. And then, so they got nominated for a Josie, and that's when it was, that that's when I think it was in Dollywood that one a year. Mm -hmm. And then we won. I wasn't there, because I was actually singing in Kentucky <laughs> the oh night my. of the Josies. And so I won. Well, somebody sent me a picture of the award, somebody that I knew that was a songwriter there accepted <laughs> it for me. And then um, you're a virtual winner at this point, right? I was a virtual winner. Yeah. <laughs> and so then um, I was nominated last year and I won song of the year, gospel Christian song of the year for Jesus still loves me. Do you want to play that now? I, I okay. want to, I want to share yeah. your music with people okay. Yeah. and we can go in any order you want. Okay. Yeah. So let's play song of the year from Steve Bridgman on Storyteller Studio. Hearing Jesus loves me Still takes me back To that small wooden chair In my Sunday school class Where I first heard the story Of God's amazing grace and the lessons that I learned I still believe today Jesus still loves me This I know For the Bible Still tells me so No matter what happens This truth remains change 
still loves me and steve bridgman wow i like that thank you that's a, that was fun my friend jeff bates that's who you hear in there um was a he was actually my producer for a while he did a great job on it too good for you yeah. hey you know last night i was at the grand Ole opry they had eight acts played maybe three songs each it was a nice sort of collaboration somebody really, really experienced in the industry, Connie Smith. Wow. I think she was a member in either mm-hmm. 1965 right. or 1967. And then you've got uh, Carly Pierce. Right. And everything in between. And it was a very nice show. But just before intermission, I get this text from you that has two pictures on it that says, here's my current situation. And I'm thinking, oh, geez, before I looked at the pictures, I'm going, oh, geez, he's going to cancel on me tomorrow morning. (laughs) Something's wrong. He fell down. Something happened. Tell me about those pictures, because it looks like a recording studio, but yet it looks pretty stinking fancy. Yeah, it's one of the largest studios in town, if not the biggest. And it's called Welcome to 1979. And everything (laughs) in it has like everything from like the 50s, 60s, 70s you would think of when it comes to like a soundboard is there. Like it's sort of like a museum meets a state-of-the-art recording studio oh there's like eight different rooms eight different sound booths and they've got like the latest state-of-the-art stuff so if you want to go in there and use some of that older stuff you to give it that nostalgic sound yeah you can yeah i was recording four new songs last night and it's just the how much my music has changed over almost the decade, I guess. Mm-hmm. I study 
fads and styles and that sort of thing. And I so, which kind of scares me because in the beginning with a song like Angels by Another Name, I didn't study what was popular. I was in the right place at the right time with right. a song like Angels. Yeah, well, sometimes you got to go with your gut. Right. And, and that works right. for some people. And it certainly makes a lot of people fall flat on their butts and they never get up again. Right. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I understand that. My dad's biggest thing whenever Angels by Another Name went number one was don't be a one-hit wonder. Oh, yeah. He said it a lot. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, there is a special place for all those one-hit wonders in the 1970s. I was on recently with John Records Landecker, okay. big, big radio announcer in the 70s at WLS, mm -hmm. and now he does evenings on WGN Radio in Chicago. And we got talking about one-hit wonders. Now, keep in mind, these were the tools of our trade. So he would rattle off one title and I would go, here's the artist. And he would say, well, who was the one that did so-and-so? And, -so? and, and we had such a great time. So there is a place for it. There's a place for it. But you don't want to necessarily have the intention to be there. You hear a lot of horror stories about people who have one-hit wonders and they had this, this influx of cash. And then they go out and buy all this stuff and then they don't have any money anymore. Yeah. And that was a big deal of of really being careful in that aspect. Did you write Angels by Another Name? What's funny is that song almost didn't make that first album because somebody sent me the demo after we had already chosen all the songs oh. that I actually said, I will pay for this song to be on there. I believe in this song so much. And we actually kicked a song off the album and put that one on it. Wow. Because we did a 10 song and that song was my number, first number one. And that is forever going to be in your hip pocket oh, as yeah. your first number one. Always. You know, it's I like have to do it everywhere I go. Yeah. It's, yeah. Like, it's like the first ball game, the first movie you went to, your first girlfriend, you know, that kind of yep. thing. Right. It, it always stays with you. Let's yeah. take a listen to Steve Bridgman and Angels by Another Name. It's that stranger on the highway who helps you change a flight. The brother there through thick and thin has always got your back. It's the mama kids, the skinned up knees and putting band-aids on. The doctor working miracles when they said all hope was gone. God puts them where he wants them. Somehow he always knows to send them to the rescue just when you But you know they're heaven sent just the same They're angels by another name Have you ever been so low You thought the world was giving in And somewhere out of nowhere You run into an old friend Who knows just what to say on your feet and you know it ain't no accident that the two of you and me God puts them where he wants them somehow he always knows to send them to the rescue just when you need them most and you'll never see them wearing wings their halos might be bent but you know they're heaven sent just the
just unsuspecting heroes doing what they do. Angels by Another Name and Steve Bridgman here on the Storyteller Studio. Steve, I have to ask you, you briefly mentioned Mo Pitney, yes. and we kept going down that aisle wherever that story was going. Right. But uh, Mo Pitney is from Cherry Valley, Illinois, which right. is just right outside of Rockford. He is a wordsmith. Mm-hmm. The songs that that guy writes yeah. is just unbelievable. Yeah. And you almost can't believe that the voice comes out of the body. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's got a fantastic voice. Yeah. So I have some Mo Pitney stories, but what is your connection of all people? I have a friend back home, Mark, who actually was a humongous Mo Pitney fan. And so when he fast forward, or I guess rewind, back to um, the Inspirational Country Music Awards that were at the Opry, Mo came and was a ho- was one of the hosts for oh, wow. the, the ICMAs. Oh. And... Got to meet him there, and then last summer I did a show with him at the Ark Encounter up in Kentucky in my home state. He was the headliner, that, and I was just like, it was sort of a full circle moment for me, you know, yeah. because I was like right when I was first starting out, mm-hmm. when I first met Mo, and he was great. You know what I like about Mo the most is he is so down to earth like he was walking around backstage with his kid on his hip he is the poster child of genuine so when he shows up at a show too on his bus or whatever he's got like a whole slew of you know it's like a lot of people just carry around their friends and it's just sort of a party atmosphere yeah his are all family members i know they, they all made the move down yeah they were all behind him yeah. let me tell you my thing with mo pitney my mom at the time was probably 88 or 89 years old something right. like that she picks up the phone and she says, you know, I've got this really, really big favor to ask of you. The pastor of our church has a grandson that is going to be doing some country music down at Memorial something. Now, keep in mind, she's 88 years old. Right. She's got half her facts right. right. It's going to be at night. Can you drive Joy and I to the concert? We just don't want to drive at night. Okay. Right. okay all right. Let me get the details on it. Well, it turned out it was at Memorial Hall. Okay. Not right. not the local VFW. Right. Of you know, Abraham Lincoln was at Memorial Hall. And we walk in and it's beautifully decorated. It's a fundraiser for St. Jude's. Right. And he's got cousins and other musicians and his soon to be wife and you right. know, the entourage that you're talking about. Right. One of my old radio buddies, Steve Summers, was the MC. He is morning show co-host on uh, The Bull 95.3. My goodness, the evening was so incredibly special. Mm-hmm. So afterwards, again, my 88-year-old mom mm-hmm. says, I wanted to introduce you to Mo. Come on, come on. You know how they do. They don't mm-hmm. care. They right. have no filters. Right. Come on, come on, come on. And we met, and we kicked it off, and we've been friends ever since. What I did when I went back on WLUV Radio, which was my first radio station when I was 16 years old, 
The owner died when he was 98. They needed to bring the radio station up to the level of sellability. Right. And they asked all of us old radio folks to come in and sort of do live shows and stuff. So I jokingly, every time I did a show, I said, well, I'm about to break the format again. Here's another Mo Pitney song. Because mm -hmm. we were playing 60s and 70s. Oh, you know, okay. Stevie Wonder, Doobie Brothers, mm -hmm. you know, that type of stuff. And then I play one country song in my show every time I went on. Mm -hmm. And it was Mo Pitney. Right, of course. So that's the story on, the, on, on my side of the Mo Pitney thing. It's he or my he. I feel like he's like the Dave Matthews of country music. Really, where he has such a big following, but he's not commercialized so mm -hmm. hardcore. You know, like Dave Matthews was selling out arenas and selling out things, uh, even still today. Today, mm -hmm. Mo Pitney can sell out some uh, an arena and or, or you know all at a venue just about anywhere, and. Because he has such a great following, people yeah. will do that. And he I think does. that that's, you know, that he may not get played on the radio every hour, but mm -hmm. he has such a great voice and a great following that people are just going to hang on to him for a while. He's the guy that you want to seek out in the room on right. times right. that go forward. Right. I'm going to see him tonight in Franklin, Tennessee. Oh, yeah. At is it Puckett's? Oh, you're going to Puckett's. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Small, intimate. You're going to like it. Oh, so, good. Yeah, very cool. Okay. Very cool place. Supposedly, I don't need tickets or reservations. They no. say it's one person, so I go, okay, I'll stand at the end of the that's bar if I need that's to. That's awesome that you're going there. You'll, I'm sure you'll be able to have you know, some time with them, too. So. Well, I hope so, yeah, yeah, because I'll tell you, with today's technology, and, you know, I'm 63 years old. I get it. I complain about certain things, but yet... You know, I'm doing a podcast with technology on location anywhere I go. Right. So I'm not adverse to it. Right. So when you're in, when you work in the industry too, it's also kind of hard because, you know, you'll see people like Carly Pierce lived in my building. Oh. But I wasn't that guy. Yeah. You know, so, <laughs> and, and so I would be like, oh, hey, how you doing? Hey, how are you? Hey, Steve. And I, but you don't. When you live in that atmosphere and you see people, I mean, I, I see people every day that I know who they are. And oh. then um, some of them know me, some of them don't. In Nashville, you just don't do that. It's yes. just kind of strange. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's just like, oh, we all just, everybody's kind of coexist together. They are. Yeah. So you need to get yourself up to the level, at least with Carly Pierce, where you're <laughs> like the mac and cheese guy. <laughs> Come on over. I got some mac and cheese. Right, right. And it's hard to get to that level. Right. It really is. You know, what's weirder, though, too, at least for me, I have easier access to people like Barbara and Louise Mandrell than I do with some up-and-comers. That's an easy exp explanation, and I'll tell you why, why that is. Okay. Because there is a switch in your head that after you've been here a while and you've sort of been like, you know what, this is great. The people a lot of times that helped you get to the top are no longer found on the other side. Mm. So when someone comes along that wants to have a real conversation and not just want something from them, they jump on it. Oh, I think real connections matter with a lot of artists that have made it, quote, unquote, with the lack of a better way to say it. That's why you see a lot of people like Garth, a lot of people like Tim McGraw doing a lot of humanitarian work. Yeah. They do a lot of stuff because it's like, well, what now? Yeah. And so, I, you know, not to say any, like either one of them are washed up because that is not the truth. I mean, no. they're both selling out 
arenas. No, but they've been there a long, long time. There is a place in their mind, I think, that it kind of clicks and it kind of goes, you know what? I'm still happy just to be here and whatever I can do for you. I'll be, it, they just, I think people just become nicer people. Yeah. You know, when yeah. you're, when you're coming up in the ranks, there's a lot of people that are telling you what to do. Well, and you, you, you have a tendency to keep people at arm's length. Yeah, for sure. And you know, a, a really good example. Uh, I was down in the pouring rain yesterday doing some street photography on Broadway. Okay. And I purposely went down there during the day and then purposely stayed there till late at night mm. because then you get the same sign that's right. now lit up in neon. Right. I like traveling that way where I can pop in somewhere if I want to. Right. So I told my wife, I said, you know, I started at 11 o'clock this morning and I have been bar hopping all day. <laughs> now, we all know what translation that is. Right. You, you've been day drinking. Right. Well, no. Yes, I've been drinking, but it's right. either Coke or Pepsi. Right. I'm popping around to hear the bands. Of course. And they were fantastic. Yeah, and they're all covers. Yes. Yeah. And when you spend more on tips than you do on drinks right. and food, right. you know you're in the right place. Right. With that arm's length thing, to give you an idea, and this will circle us back to Mo Pitney, this gal was sitting on a stool in front of Jack's Barbecue. You're familiar with Jack's. Oh, yeah. And she's handing out handbills, and it's their uh, menu. So she looks at the garments that I'm wearing and the size of my camera, and she says, uh, what do you do? Well, then that just took it from there. And right. she's got all this information. Well, you need to go talk to so-and-so. You need to talk to so-and-so. Eh, on and on and on and on and on. Well, there's no way I can absorb that much information. Right. So somehow, when she says, well, where are you from? I said, Northern Illinois. And she says, specifically, because you don't look like you're from Chicago. Mm. I says, I'm from Rockford. And she goes, well, you are, are you actually from Rockford? Or are you from some small town? Right. And I looked at her and says, why are you asking it this way? She goes, because I have people in small towns in Illinois, so it may be the small town. You may know my people. Right. Well, yeah, what are the chances, right? right? says, wow, you know, if I'm not mistaken, that's where Mo Pitney's from. The guy that just walked in Jack's Barbecue knows Mo Pitney, mm. Dave somebody. Okay. She grabs me by the hand, runs in the restaurant, you know the long line that's oh, yeah. at Jack's Barbecue, and so I talked to the guy as he's waiting in line, comparing notes with Mo Pitney. It's like, come on, what are the chances? That's funny. But that's Nashville. It is Nashville. It is. Yeah. I bet we stood there and talked 20 minutes, mm -hmm. and they're just genuinely nice. That's that happened to me last year on um, at the CMA Fest. I was uh, my buddy uh, Thomas Mack, who's a big TikToker, seven eight million followers on TikTok. He's mm. on tour with Cooper Allen this month coming up. He said. Um, Hey, come with me. I sort of need somebody to sort of be my, I don't know, my tag along. I'm a kind of a protector too. He's young and he's like 25. But oh. He's going to be something. Okay. I mean, he's signed with the, some big names. And I said, okay, sure. And then there I am backstage at the CMA Fest getting ready to go and right in front of Bridgestone. And he says, one, one of his people or somebody comes up to me and says, hey, Steve, how are you? And I'm like, you, there's no way this person there's knows me. There's no way, yeah. And it was, <laughs> she recognized me from being in one of his TikTok videos. Oh, come and on. And I was like, he's so popular on TikTok that I've done a couple of them, that sort of thing, just kind of singing with them, doing harmony challenges, yeah. stuff like that. That when he took the stage, I went downstage and I was doing video with my phone. And they were like, it's Steve. It's Steve. <laughs> and he calls me, he called me his uncle or his agent one time. So they all thought it was his agent. It was total <laughs> preposterous. 
you have to applaud these people for right. keeping that information right. in their head. So that's Nashville, like and, you said. Oh, right. and, and yeah. linking it up a little bit later yeah. when they see you. Right. Oh, that's hilarious. So, wow. Yeah. Hey, tell me about Owensboro, Kentucky. You mentioned that two days ago. Born there in 1971, same year that Disney was inducted because, like, you know, I'm a big I'm a big old Disney fan. Yeah. Uh, so they kind of are self-proclaimed um, bluegrass capital of the world. But we've got the Bluegrass Museum there, which is beautiful. If anybody ever is needing a place to go that's sort of off the map, I mean, it's just a great place. There's always stuff going on. International Bluegrass uh, Museum okay. in the Hall of Fame is there, I think. And so uh, we also do a concert series there called Friday After Five uh, all through the summer. It's like from like Memorial weekend to Labor Day weekend and it's every Friday night from like five to nine that's a big deal so I'm sort of on the committees with that and trying to now that I live in Nashville I, I try to bring in some acts and that sort of thing and so nice. I'm sort of like wow. an advisor I guess for yeah. that yeah and then I'm also in charge now of the gospel nights there so I bring in some of the Christian we're kind of moving into more of an inspirational country kind of thing where we're nice. trying to we have, we have we do have a, like a southern gospel night so but Owensboro is a river town you don't really go there unless you're going there because there's no major highway that kind of goes through it. How well I know unless it's in the pouring rain. Right. And it's, it's a and little And it's flat, too. Yeah. It yes, is flat. yes, yes, yes. Not as flat as Nebraska, right. I'm just saying. When I was in college, I did what was called overnights on a Saturday nights at WBIO, WVJS Radio. Okay. And nobody wanted the midnight to 6 a.m. Saturday yeah. night because everybody want to go out and everybody want to be yeah. at home. Yeah. So nobody still wants that shift. I would be doing homework during that time. I think I may have been either right out of college or maybe my first year of teaching school and I really wasn't making that much money. And so mm-hmm. I was like, sure, I'll make enough money to pay my electric bill for in six hours. Talk about full circle. There was never anything going on. I mean, from midnight to 6 a.m., everything was automated. You know, I may have done the weather like twice. I ended up in the lobby a lot there reading what was called Power Source magazine, which was the inspirational country music publication. Bethlehem, Virginia is number one in Power Source magazine (laughs) this month. My song is the number one song in Power Source magazine this month. And I I grew up reading that magazine. Come on. Yeah. It's the number one song in Power Source this month. Good for you. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Hey, yeah. does WOMI still exist? WOMI is part of the WVJS, WBIO. That's, um, it's a whole conglomerate. Um, yeah. I think there's been some purchasing going on between some stations there. There was a guy that I worked with at WLUV, again, back when I was 16, mm-hmm. 17 years old. His name is Steve Kraft. Okay. And when he left WLUV, he obviously sent out resume tapes and everything else and right. landed at WOMI in Owensboro, Kentucky. Right. This tells you how much of a collector I am, not a hoarder. <laughs> <laughs> I still have the music survey, you know, the top 30 songs right. for that right. week with Steve's picture on the front. He sent us copies. Interesting. It's sort of like, see, I did make it big. You know, right. they're right. actually putting me in print. Right. Uh, I lost track of them. Steve Kraft is a generic enough name that it's hard to look up and I, I just I don't know I ask friends and they right. don't know but that goes back to like 1979 or 1980 that Steve was at WOMI that is my only connection to Owensboro Kentucky it's where I'm going today to yeah. do my taxes yeah, yeah but yeah. um it's you know it's it has a great music scene what's fun about 
Owensboro is radio is still very relevant there. There's another radio station across the town that actually a guy I grew up from kindergarten through is like a real popular DJ there and does great work. Is it the whole big small town feeling thing? Yeah, I mean, it's 58,000 people. Oh, it's well, not massive. but, no, but that's right in that niche. It's it's part of a tri-state area, Evansville, Indiana, Henderson, Kentucky, and Owensboro. They're sort of in wow. a triangle. When we're going back to bluegrass, just a little bit, when yep. you mentioned the museum, I don't know the name of this lady. They call her the queen of bluegrass. Okay. She was at the opera last night. Excellent. So, so good. I am not an overwhelming fan of bluegrass. Mm-hmm. If you just give that to me as a question. Rhonda Vincent? It is. Yeah. Her songs last night, she sang, were Please, Mr. Please by Olivia Newton-John okay. and City of New Orleans. Right. And they killed it. That place went absolutely nuts. Well, in good music, that's the thing about the Opry, because those people know good music. I don't care what genre it is. Well, and to a certain degree, you're taking something that's familiar to you one way or the other. You're putting a little twist to it. And I'm going to use this as an extreme just to prove a point. You take this disco song from 1979 that you know, and all of a sudden you're going to do it as a ballad. It's like, well, that is a really cool twist to it. Not everybody can pull it off. She actually was one of the hosts of the one of the years of for the ICMA Awards oh, as well. Nice. I so, can actually see that. She's yeah. personality plus. Yeah, she's great. And wow. So, I mean, yeah, she is the queen of bluegrass for sure. When you were talking about Disney, and your eyes do light up mm-hmm. when, you, when you do say that. Huge. Uh, and mine do too, because there was some pivotal point you know, we went in Walt Disney World in 1972, so okay. it had only been open for a year. Right. The Contemporary Hotel, the uh, Magic Kingdom, and the Wilderness Campgrounds was the only the thing, thing that was on the property. Right. And we pulled this, you know, pop-up camper down there in December. Mm-hmm. We went through the Magic Kingdom on Christmas Day because wow. that's just sort of when my parents had, you know, right. a, a vacation and everything. My parents were actually divorced for mm-hmm. quite some time. Right. And they said, you know what? We need to get together and we need to take the kids to this big place that we know little about. So they did. Wow. And, you know, that's a long trip when yeah, you think is. about it. It's like a 23-hour trip. Yeah. We still have fantastic memories of that from 1972, my sister and I. Fast forward in 1986, I get to do two broadcasts via satellite one from the Magic Kingdom and one from the Epcot Center at Walt Disney World for their 15th birthday. Obviously, the the teeter-totter really tipped and stayed tipped for a very, very long time. Was there a pivotal point for you Mm. with Disney that said, whoa, I'm not only a fan, I'm an ambassador? You know, Disney always sort of held this magic. Like, you got to feel the magic, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And I think... 89 was when I went to Disney outside of family stuff. My dad was a big sports guy, and he did uh, sports radio for years in Owensboro. And uh, he was more of a regional guy. But he had a show called Let's Talk Racing, but that's a whole different bargain. But we went to the Daytona 500 several times, and we would always do the 500 on Sunday, and then we would do Disney on Monday. And then we would drive home. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we would just drive straight home. Like, do Disney all day? How crazy is that? I know. There's and something like, about fathers that have cast iron bottoms. Right. And it's right. like, are you kidding me? And so I do think that those moments was when I saw my dad at his best. 
But when we would do those Disney trips and it would just be the two of us, I think that I saw a different side of my dad because he saw things that that were just magical. And he was just like a kid. And he loved all of it. And And he could completely unplug. Unplug. And you know, I, I see that, you know, for especially people that are hard workers, Long yep. days, long right. hours, manufacturing facilities. Right. They come home, they're just spent. You know, it's not come home in time to play with the kids. Right. You're just trying to survive right. from day to day. I think that some of those things, you hear those stories with, yeah, but you know, it was really different when my dad and I went fishing. And I think that may just be your Yeah, I think that moment. we also fail sometimes as adults to recreate things for the younger generation. That mm-hmm. it, some, like, I have to sort of catch myself and say, who knows what the nine-year-olds are going to say about us when they're our age. And It's I, true. So, so my big thing is with adults who are aging or in their 40s, 50s, 60s, create magical moments that's for it. that younger generation because that's, that's what we remember. Right. And and lots of times when people are saying, what do you want for your birthday or what do you want for Christmas? You know, I'm at the age, I don't need something else. Right. I just don't. Right. So give me an experience. Right. Give me something that I can go do with you. And I honestly don't care what it is. It could, I could care less. I love that. And I'll tell you what I did this year at Christmas time. Since we lost my dad and my sister, Christmas has not been great. So this year, so my grandmother who died in 2013, imagine I was on the road singing about two years ago and all the hotels in my hometown were full. Nobody really lives there anymore that I could just kind of plop down somewhere and stay. So (laughs) I ended up... You did your share of couch surfing though, I bet, right? I looked up on Airbnb (laughs) and the first thing that that popped up was my grandmother's house. What? So I'd never really had the means to do a lot of this stuff. So for Christmas this year, I Airbnb'd my grandmother's home and had Christmas at my grandma's house with my family. Did they flip out? They did. They were, it was craziness. (laughs) Yeah. So it was great. I mean, they, we got to go back and we'd been, hadn't been there for 10 years and it was just, it was a little small house with like 30 people in there, but it was just like, you know, and plus when people Airbnb, their places are sort of like minimal furniture. So we had to like bring in chairs or bring in things. We had so much food. I don't think that kitchen's seen that much food in a decade. Well, Southern hospitality. Yeah, it was great. I mean, and so I wanted to do that for, you know, I don't, I don't have a family. I'm not married. I don't have any kids. So it was like. This is my gift to everybody. Um, yes. Airbnb did this out. We got food. We had it sort of catered. And again, give people an experience yeah. because people remember experiences. Yeah. It's not going to be my grandmother's house, but I'm going to blatantly steal that idea from right. some event of some sort. Yeah. I would like to do a Nashville gathering, oddly enough that we are in Nashville. I would like to do a Nashville gathering where I get all my cousins like from East Tennessee and Virginia yeah. and Georgia and Ohio and just meet in the middle type of thing and just pile in for a weekend. Right. And I know it's hard to gather the cats. I get it. Everybody's mm-hmm. got so many things going on. I mean, even if we had half a dozen, right. it beats the heck out of nothing. Right. We made reference to your father uh, and the Walt Disney World trips that you right. did. Help me with, uh, as we set up another song for you, uh, it is one of my favorites. I just like it. Mm-hmm. Something in the catch of the song just grips me and it's called between sundays yes. what's the backstory on that it's interesting i sit on songs for a while like a demo will come to my i think i've held onto that demo for like seven or eight years 
So mm. since I first moved to Nashville, and people started pitching me songs after that first number one. Mm-hmm. That's what happens is that you just get like right now. I bet I get twenty five songs pitched to me a week. It's mm. yeah, and so if I don't like them, I just send them to somebody else and say, ah, this isn't for me. So and are these pitches coming from the individual songwriters or from their agents or from both? I'll get stuff okay. from publishers. I'll get stuff from like a lot of publishing companies will send me stuff, okay. but a lot of times it's just direct songwriters and. You can land on a golden bar on that way, you know, <laughs> which was what Between Sundays was. Oh, yeah. seriously? That's the songwriter sent me this, and I was like, it's not for me yet, but I don't know. I feel like I'm going to hang on to it. But a lot of times the songwriters want, you know, if they can pitch to somebody else, they're going to. And so, yeah. Um, do, you, do you feel that fear that if you hold on to it or you pass on it that you're going to really miss out on the boat? I do. Um, sometimes there's there was one song called all in a Sunday's work that was from like 10 years ago that I really wanted to record. And another, actually a group got it and they recorded it and they didn't even release it as a single. I recorded it last night. (laughs) I recorded it, re-recorded it (laughs) last night as a country song. It's it's funny where your voice changed tone. Like you sort of stole something and you're publicly admitting it. I will sit on something for a decade and then go, "Mm, not yours anymore. It's mine now. So we did it. We brought in my friend. Well, I say my friend uh, Jordan, who's one of the best fiddle players in Nashville, came in and put some fiddle on it and just made it sound like big time country. It was wow. just, yeah, it's going to be good. Wow. So. You know, it reminds me of, remember when Neil Diamond was in The Jazz Singer mm-hmm. and somebody, maybe he, his character had written this song and they brought it into the studio and the singer and the producers and everybody turned it into like a Billy Idol sounding right. song. Right. And he's going, you know, that's just not what I had in mind. Mm. He goes, can I sit down at the piano and put on the headphones and sort of give you an idea of what I'm talking about? Well, you see the Billy Idol type guy in the background smoking a cigarette, not caring an iota about right. how his what version happened? is being. And I, I think it was Love on the Rocks, if mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken, or maybe Hello Again. Of course, it just grabs you, and I bet that happens every day in Nashville. It does, in in multiple facets. I mean, it's what's interesting is is that even more surprising is a lot of times is that I have to let the pros do what they do best. What you're not going to find from me is I'm not going to go in and say, no, that's not what I wanted. This is what I wanted. 99%, they've added something that just really lost it they're just seeing it from a different angle right and wow. that's that happens to me it happened to me last night i have two real bangers that i love that okay. i was really excited about doing one's called a sign it talks about losing somebody and if you made it to heaven i just need you to send me a sign that's a great song oh. so it's not billing goal right now <laughs> very excited about that song but the one that turned out better was a sign called um hit my knees praying oh hit the road praying is what it's called it just turned out a much better production than what I ever expected. That uh, people are like, "No, this is your this is your next single." So, did you only see it on paper, or did you just? I, sort just, of, I had a demo, and it was just one of demo. those things where it was sort of a mid. When I say mid production, it sort of has a couple like a four or instrument kind of deal. But then, whenever I sent it to my producer Paul Bowen, who is amazing, he's a young guy, he's new, he's mid thirties, up and coming, going to be the biggest. I mean producer in town he just has an ear that's unmatched excellent and he said this is your song he's like you've had five number ones but this is going to be the one that crosses over and i'm like i don't know about that and then i heard it when he did in the studio we we did we cut it last friday over at um soul train and then we cut vocals last night over it welcome to 1979 and i was just like 
you know what? I think you're right. <laughs> it feels good. good. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Just so undercut. last night when you were cutting, you were only doing vocals. Just vocals, yeah. Really? So when somebody comes to town, they'll cut the tracks, and then all the studio people will. So sometimes what happens is you'll do, if you just want to do two or three songs, um, producers will, it's sort of a, a different way to do things. Used to be artists would cut like 10 songs for an album, and okay. they would take all day, and then they would take those tracks home with them, and they would listen or have band practice, and then they would go back like a month later. Well, now, with the way digital releases are, they just do one or two or three songs for the next year because you're only sending the songs to radio like once every four, five, six months. Does that add to your budget for studio time? Well, what it does is is that you put other artists in with you, oh. and then they'll cut like 10 to 12 songs for like five different artists. And, and so share the expense. Share the expense. Oh, my. So, nice. So we cut two songs. I had two songs already cut, and then I brought in um, some of the contestants for the television show that I host called The Sound of Small Town America, and they came in because I'm, some of the of us are sort of mentoring some of these. Um, in, in Good so, for you. And so they came in. I think I had a 16-year-old girl, and then Colin is a 21. And so I went out and helped them find songs and that sort of thing, and we listened oh. to a lot of songs, and that, and then we got I got them hooked up with Paul, who's my producer, and we did that. So they cut their vocals in that last Friday after we did the whole session and got all the songs out of the way. They cut their vocals in studio, and I got to be in on that. Do they know what golden ticket you are handing them? I don't know. <laughs> but they're also getting to perform. I mean, as finalists, they'll perform on the Grand Ole Opry stage in oh. May, on May 29th at the ICMA what the, what that's, that's part of the process, it the is. formula? Well, it was part of the finalists winning. So we went to Kentucky, my hometown. We had 4,000 people come out downtown on the river. Hello. We filmed the television show there. Then we filmed in Louisiana, Mississippi, and Texas all last summer. And wow. in the fall, and now picked five finalists from each city, so twenty plus or so. We have some youth in there too, that a youth category. As part of that, it starts from five to seven at the ICMA Awards at their Grand Ole Opry House on May 29th. They will compete there for the finale. Oh my! And they'll tape it for television. And I, I host that. So, so where can people see this? We actually have a lot of meetings that's coming two weeks and we believe it's going to end up on a major um, network out of Dallas. Okay. So, which is, it'll be a Christian based thing. I can't say yet because we haven't sealed the deal, mm -hmm. but we're very excited. And you know, all the people involved from ICMA down, I mean, every crew film, everybody, it was like working at Disney world. I mean, oh. it was like the most incredible experience for me because first of all, I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> I got to go when I was in Louisiana, I got to like go into this place and eat like alligator meat, and that so the, and I got to meet with the mayor. It just sort of started out as like just something we were doing for as a television show, and it ended up being so much more because when you're standing with the mayor of a city and they're talking about how small towns no longer are flourishing because of big corporate America, yeah, and they're emotional about it. And they're saying, you know, we don't have corner stores anymore. We don't have the corner pharmacies anymore. We don't have it. It's all gone away. And he gets emotional. He's the mayor. And he's like, I'm trying to change that. And if you're the guy that comes in and wants to be a part of his small town, quote unquote, small town. Right. He has the power right there. If he grabs onto the excitement on whatever you're saying, he, well, we can do that. Yeah. And the, yeah. the concept at first when we were in our meetings way back last spring was 
we wanted to do an American Idol-ish meets the voice type of thing. But we had done it before, but we had gone to large cities. And it just wasn't working for us. You know what the definition of insanity is? Doing the same thing over and over, <laughs> expecting a different result. So somebody, I said, why don't we just do small towns? But, but the first reaction is going to be, how are we going to get the contestants when you're tapping such a small population? We felt like people would gravitate towards the small towns, but it ended up being this whole story. The contestants is like the byproduct because mm. the story ended up being about these small towns, how they, I mean, I get chills just thinking about it. They were so incredible. They rolled out the red carpets. They they brought food in. We had a we I mean when we rode into town, they knew we were there because oh, yeah. they did the whole hoopla and the fanfare and they set up stages and but for it to be the first one in my hometown where four thousand people showed up and we had this massive lit up stage that you would see at any sort of yeah. festival, it was just an incredible experience because I was the host of the show. Yeah. And that's my hometown. Good for you. I couldn't have paid for that. Well, and you've got the vision, you've got the passion, and when it all comes together, again, it sends chills up your back because you had it in your head, and you are trying to share it with everybody else, and they go, yeah, yeah, Steve, it sounds like a good idea. But then when it actually happens, oh, my. But but everyone at the Inspirational Country Music Association has just been so incredible. It's such a collaboration of ideas, and it's just been, and every time we have some new idea, we're all like, we love it, let's jump on it. (laughs) And uh, But to the point where we get a lot on our plate, tickets went on sale for the Inspirational Country Music Association Awards on Monday. I think we've sold close to 1,000 tickets in like, three days three or four days yeah it's crazy hey let's back up just a little bit when you said that this was uh, sort of a combination of the voice and american idol you had mentioned to me maybe about a week ago that uh the whole disney thing you were doing the american idol experience tell me about that back when i was teaching school we did in kentucky we did this thing called project mickey kids all year long would seventh and eighth graders and sixth graders would save money all year long raise funds to go to disney for a week and as part of that it was part of the disney education program where they would get to go early early in the morning before the parks open and they would have a guide and they would be like take them and sell show them all the physics part of the way let's say splash mountain worked excellent and they would have all these experiments, and they would go in. They would get to walk in some of the court. At one point, they got to go in the court. The, the, the utilidors. The utilidors. I've been there. To. It is pretty cool. And so as part of that, there was this thing at the time. It is now what's called defunct Disney. It's part of that whole list of things that no longer exist anymore. Yeah, Disney. like the Disney Institute would right. be another one, educational yep. stuff. And they, so they were, all the kids were like, you sing, you should do it. So I did it. American Idol Experience is what it was called. Did you sign up that day? I signed up that morning. I oh, go in please. audition. You have to audition in front of these people. I sang a song. So there's a preliminary show during the day. And then you, may, if you win that one, you go to the finale, which is at the end of the day at like 7 at night. Well, I won my moment. And I go back and I watch it. I wish I could take that thing off. I'm glad I didn't <laughs> now because what's interesting about that is it's like, it has thousands of views on YouTube. Yeah. And people, I, this guy reached out to me and said, hey, I want to use this on my uh, YouTube channel. He has like millions of followers on his YouTube channel. And it said, I want to use your part of your segment. Can I? And I said, oh, yeah, no problem. Do it. And I, wanna, I thought, 
oh now it's gonna he's gonna go out there and show it and it's gonna be he had like 1.3 million subscribers <laughs> oh, i thought no. oh my gosh yeah but you know it's so nice that the video shows the students and shows the supportive yes, people that yeah. are behind you yeah the video quality is not fantastic. We get it that. It was a handheld it, yeah, deal. Yeah, it's a phone in right. Rule 4, you right. know. Right. But yet, it, again, it's that warm and fuzzy feeling. Right. Yep. And now that I know that the kids save up their money to go to this yep. thing, it's even more. And it's yep. not all... You know all the the uh, the the sexiness. It's all right. that behind the scenes stuff. Yeah, that's they, cool. And they still do it. I think they took a COVID break, of course, but they still do it. They still go every year from out of Owensboro, Kentucky. They go and they go for a week. At Project Mickey. It's an amazing program. Good for them. Yeah. Again, we've gone down forty different paths, right, right. and we still need to play between Sundays. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is a song about my dad. My dad wasn't a religious man. He was a, what you call a spiritual man. He would argue with the preacher about facts oh, a lot. Yeah. But he knew the Bible, but he didn't really care about the semantics behind different religions and okay. different, um, I like to say, um, tell me why my wife can't wear jeans at church kind of thing. Make, oh. it, make it make sense. And okay. just if I can get her there, she's going to wear what, I, what she wants to wear. <laughs> it's basically his thing. You know, he didn't He didn't teach me a lot. He taught me how to be nice to people, taught me how to open the door for people, taught me how to be honest from Sunday to Sunday. Here is Between Sundays, Steve Bridgman, Storyteller Studio. And he said what mattered most was time. Cause a little time can change somebody's life Never made a million bucks But had a billion dollar love He lived for when he came home at night Never heard him quote from the Bible Or took me to an old town revival Red, yellow, white, or black He'd give the shirt off his back A working man who burned a little brighter Between the kneeling, the praying Hallelujahs and amazing grace He was living, always giving Just a little more than he would take Yeah, he made the world a better place Between sun like to sit up in the front row people in his life that matter most sometimes he might goes off when the preacher went too long but he saw the light even with his eyes closed opened up his heart all week at home between the kneeling the praying hallelujahs and amazing grace
between Sunday. Between Sundays. That's Between Sundays. I am so glad that we are able to play some of your songs. Thank you for that. Because if you um, tell people to go look it up, they may or may not do it. You could talk about something over and over and over and over and over again, but until you see it or hear it or be a part of it, it's it's just not the same. So thanks for supplying those songs so we could share that. Hey, I want to get back to Disney just a little bit, if that's okay. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You're never going to – I'm always going to be up for Disney Channel. When you were talking about uh, taking your kids down, uh, geez, I want to say it was 1997. That was the weekend, the Labor Day weekend, that Princess Diana died. Okay. Yep. Yep. And I took my whole staff down there to the Disney Institute, which is now Saratoga Springs Resort. The really nice thing that Disney had there was you pick from this menu of classes, whether you want to do gourmet chocolate that morning or canoe riding or rock climbing or whatever. And I ended up taking celluloid painting, animation cell painting. They gave us this little cartoon and everything, and they gave us these little containers of paint. And we did it, and it was fun, and it mm-hmm. was great. And then I really wanted to do it more. Right. Well, they have this special paint, and I had to go around and try to find that paint. And I would actually take the paint at either Menards or Lowe's or wherever, or a ceramic shop in town. Right. And I would rub a little on my fingernail, because my fingernail, in my mind, represented celluloid a little okay, bit, plastic. Yeah, right, right. Finally, I found this paint, believe it or not, at Menards, and it was for ceramic paints. I think I have probably done a hundred cell paints over the years for people's anniversaries or birthdays or special occasions or whatever. And it is, it is my therapy because you can turn on the radio and you're just concentrating. It's like when people do quilting and knitting and stuff like that. You just unplug the world, Mm -hmm. that type of thing. So that's one thing that springboards off my Disney experiences. But I also want to tell you about a fellow that's from, the Rockford, Illinois area. His name is Dan Lund. Okay. And he's sort of the Mo Pitney of Disney okay. <laughs> for us. Wow. Yeah, sort of. Uh, and, and this goes back to uh, you never know how you're going to get connected with people. Right. I'm sitting in Connie Jacobs' chair and she's cutting my hair. And we're talking about all kinds of things. And she says, you know, you know, based on what you just said, you ought to know the Lund family. Mm. Didn't think anything more of it. So she sent me some stuff afterwards. I connected with her mom and, her, and his dad, and then eventually connected with Dan Lund. He invited us out to the Creative Talent Network Conference in Burbank. And Dan was also debuting a short film. It was such an incredible grouping of people that you had no clue. When you went to this debut, no one had name tags on. They had VIP backstage pass tags right. on, but you had no idea who you're talking to. Of course. So I'm sitting there just chewing the fat with Roger Allers. And Roger was one of the co-directors of Lion King. Okay. And we were not talking about Disney animation movies. And Dan comes in and he goes, oh, I see you guys met, blah, blah, blah. I still had no clue who this guy was. Well, once I found out, you know, you're backstepping going, oh, geez, how stupid did I look? (laughs) Dan, believe it or not, four years earlier 
was able to corral 125 young people, high school students, college students, all over the world. And he says, I want to do this short film called Aria for a Cow, and I want to incorporate all your talent. Wow. How would you even start? Right. It was so well done. It's very funny. To be able to show that much story in such a short amount of time is talent enough. Mm -hmm. And he debuted it like you were having a Disney rap party. You know how they go all out. Right. He was able to do it at this particular conference. Right. Dan is an animator that is only special effects. Okay. So he does not animate the characters. Wow. He will do the lava river in Aladdin. He'll do the fire in Lion King. Gotcha. The moving leaves uh, in Pocahontas. He has done all that stuff. Wow. He has advanced himself over 33 years. He was actually one of the first eight people to sit around the table at Disney when they said, well, what's going to be our next feature film? Mm. And they're brainstorming, and it turned out to be Frozen. Wow. And to be part of that behind-the-scenes knowledge when you see films like that, it's sort of like the story behind the songwriting, and then you hear the song, you go, I right. get it. Right. I get it more than if I didn't know the story. I'm giving that to you just to sort of hang on to when you see Disney stuff again. There's some major magic that's made in the process. where You can think about it, and you can put it down on paper for the longest thing, but until you see it and it's tangible in that's front of you, you really don't know what you created till then. That's and it. And I think that's a great example. That's it. What's yeah. in future for Steve Bridgman? Well, we've got um, new music coming out, uh, working on a new, uh, of course, the television show we're doing another season. Mm -hmm. So we haven't really announced that yet, but I guess this is the first time that it'll go out. Well, thank you for that exclusive. Yeah. And, um, that's right. We're, we're working on another season. <laughs> we're already talking to small towns about where to go. And then... Um, the ICMA Awards, I'll be hosting the pre-show there with the contestants and the, that at, on the Grand Ole Opry stage. I'll get to stand there. Wow. I'll be performing on the ICMA Awards. I don't know that I'll have any nominations. We'll see. Mm -hmm. uh, they haven't. They don't drop to, for a couple of weeks. But um, I am sort of settling back on my heels now in the career. I, somebody stopped me the other day and said, you know, I hear your, somebody at home was like, I hear your name all the time. I saw... Well, you're going to be doing this. And then I said, and he said, it's what's interesting is it's that you're the most famous person nobody's ever heard of. <laughs> Until you have the ticker tape parade right. that everybody know. knows. And yeah. I was like, I'll take it. Yeah, you I will mean, take it. That's I feel right. like it is a blessing yes. that I did this later in life. I mean, I say later, but I mean, I was in my 40s when I moved to Nashville. But if I would have done this at 20, there's no telling where I would be right now. Yeah. Because I wouldn't have been smart with money. And, and I draw the parallel with. When you, when you get those careers that happen too soon, right. and granted, you know, when you're 44, you can't be a boy band. Right. I get that. I yes. get that whole thing. For, for sure. But if you take the hammer that you have right now mm -hmm. and you put that in the hand of the 21-year-old right. of yourself, right. you're going to maybe use that hammer differently. Yes. I could build an entire village right now with that hammer right. today. Right. Mm, 21 years old, I might have broken in a store. Right, yeah, it's all relative, really, because it you is. just, you never know. I, I don't know that I would have been able to do that at that age. Yeah. I don't think that I could have done this at that age. Or I think. you may have stumbled enough to where it would take you so much more work to get traction again. Yeah. 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 I mean, part of it is I'm tired at 7 o'clock at night, <laughs> you know? 
Well, some of these 20-something-year-olds are downtown trying to make it big on Broadway, which is a big misconception of Nashville was nobody's going to walk in off of the street no. on Broadway and be no. like, I want to sign you to a $2 million deal. It's right. not going to happen. Well, and you know the weird part about being on Broadway yesterday. Granted, I, I'm there for a different reason. Right. I'm doing street photography. I am jumping from bar to bar because I love the opportunity of discovering a band. Right. I was the only person listening to them in many cases i'm sure because i started at 11 o'clock in the morning and went until nine o'clock that night right so here's how i twisted this one i am sure that i clap louder than normal right because you know it's bad enough that you're the only one there second of all i tip them more than what i paid for my food and my drink right third there were some opportunities like this gigantic bar i cannot remember the name of it and it's a pretty sexy bar. It's yeah. not a hole in the wall. Right. So when I took this picture of this band and this singer way, way, way down the bar and nobody there, I said, this is what you do when no one's listening. Right. You still kill it as if you've got record well, labels and scouts in the that's audience. That's fair. And I love I love it that they're doing it. It, it. it is a a lot of people really take pride in the fact that they are just able to be able to do it. And I think that now there's these companies now, these organizations that sort of schedule out all these stages and all these different bars. I think there's now it's the bar owners aren't doing it anymore. Oh. Like there's like somebody like online oh, that you can a go third in. party. Yeah. It's like a oh third my. party. Okay. Right? And so, and it's, <laughs> and it's all for tips, all of it. No pay. No pay. Whoa. Cause there's no covers on Broadway. Yeah, that's true. Those bar owners are great. The, what they do is great. I would never want to say anything negative about that. But it is a tourist area. It is. It it's is like the tourist. Wisconsin Dells. It is. It I mean, is. It's, it's for tourism. It is. It gives the idea, and you have to sing. So yeah. where the real, and I, I don't want to say this word because people are not going to like it, but where you take a step up to the real Nashville is when you start going to, like, the Third and Lindsley's. Places like that where... I went to the listening room. Right. The listening room is okay. one of the... You're going to get singer-songwriters that are able to sing their own stuff yeah. and their own creation. And I've been trying to get tickets to the Bluebird Cafe. Oh, yeah. I, I just can't get right. tickets. That's my neighborhood, so... Really? Yeah. I think they sell them like five days before the event. Well, and you they can show don't. up and get in line. I think it's a different kind of concept. You can show up and get in line. They only have like 21 seats. It's very small. Yeah. I've done the Bluebird twice. It's a lot of fun. It's very intimate. You have performed at the Bluebird? Twice. You have. Yeah, sure have. Holy cow. Yeah, um, it's it's a great experience. Have you been there? Have you seen it? No. It's a little storefront. It's a dive bar. I Is mean, it? it's just this teeny tiny place. <laughs> and I think it's like a two drink minimum and like you have to get food too because they've got to keep the doors open. Oh my. And um, they had some ice and snow damage last week too from this. So the ceiling kind of oh, sinking in no. but it's an old building i mean yeah. it's and it's literally looks like a, a like a barbershop on the outside it's just this blueberry cafe it's kind of funny because it's Come just on. like you know it's just a little bitty tiny place and so i played there back in mid-2000s and i played again about four years ago good for so, you yeah and to give people uh, a little bit of uh perspective on this there's people like taylor swift and garth brooks that oh yeah have they'll just sent, they'll yeah. just walk in on like a tuesday yeah. And just do it. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, when I first moved to town, where I met a lot of people was I did the television show Nashville. Do you remember the show that was on I, CBS? I do. So yeah. I was an extra, and then I actually got 
promoted to be one of Raina's lawyers on there. Uh, so that was my sort of, and I did that right up till the time I won the thing, and then I dropped out. I was like, oh, no, no more TV for me. Did so, you like the extra thing? Did oh you my gosh, like it was so much it? fun because okay. it was just like nobody knew who I was. Nobody, I wasn't anybody, right. and it was just the craziest time because they'd feed you. There were snacks, and you'd be on set for like maybe forty-five minutes filming, and you'd be there for like eight hours, and you get paid for it. So let me. Take your Bluebird Cafe and your extra in a movie right. and put those together. Right. I was an extra in a movie called Hideout that is okay. due out uh, this summer, and we were executive producers. There was this sheriff tracking down the bad guy type of thing, right. and you know, you go into this cafe, so they want some extras. So they give us these cheeseburgers and fries. You know, it's it's uh, two hours of acting and 12 hours of standing around waiting for them to set up equipment. Right. Well, you know, that food gets pretty raunchy by about the eighth hour. But you still have to eat it. And you still have to, you know, pretend. Right. right. And, uh, oh, my God, just horrible. Just yeah. nasty. And, of course, the people at my table are saying, you're still not eating this. And I go, well, you have to make it look real. Right. So they were doing the best they could with the fries. Right. It, it was still an interesting experience, and it'll be interesting to see how it finds its way onto the screen or on the cutting room floor. I don't know. We don't. We have no idea. That's funny. Yeah. Um, I've never pray uh, thanked the Lord enough that I was sh- short, because <laughs> television is kind of weird. Because um, and I can't remember her name now, but she was played one of the lead characters on there, and she was doing a a deal where she had heels on. As an actress, they were killing her feet. And she oh, was yeah. like, I need someone five, six and a half to get up here and let me lean on them. So I was on the front and I was like, I'm five, seven. She's like, get up here. We hit it off and have a great relationship. We have a friendship now. But she was on like uh, Heroes, the show. Oh, and sure. Was in yeah. Nashville, uh, the TV show. And um, so you were an actress prop sort of. I was an actress lean. A on, lean to lean prop. On, and because we were the same height. So she was able to put her, but she would, I think the heels had to be strapped on. So there was no kicking them off. Oh my. So she felt like they didn't hurt as much as she was leaning on somebody. So I would just hold her up. It was so funny. <laughs> right. And she's do what you a very do. famous actress now. So, wow. right. But it was, uh, I say famous, but I don't remember her name now, but, yeah. but Cherish it was a story. Yeah. Fun That's stories. It. And That's that was it. before. And then I was doing that show and then literally on that Sunday morning is whenever I met my, saw my friend at the Troubadour. And then after that, when I, the song went crazy, I never went back to the Nashville TV show ever again. <laughs> so, you know. Wow. Your nose got in the air. Hey, I'm like, too, too good for you guys now. Right, right I guess. That's funny. That's hey, funny. tell me your favorite Disney character and we will close up here. And I thank you so much for Thank you for in. having me. My favorite Disney character is Goofy. I think he's mysterious. Oh. People are like, is he a dog? Is he not? What is he? <laughs> I just think he is. I think he's Goofy is is probably my favorite because he's just like that's it i just love goofy i do whatever brings the day brings the day yeah i'm a big star wars nut too so i'm so when star wars bought disney bought star wars i was ecstatic oh yeah and i think they've done great things with it i really have they've made some mistakes i think but they've uh they're they're writing them well in the parks they've done some incredible things yeah 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 when you go in there it's an experience now did you know about that hotel yes there was a disney didn't get to do it but well and they stopped it yeah i'm hoping that they bring that back to a certain aspect maybe in some facet of the same thing where it's more like resorty yeah that you don't have to like pay the big dollars for a hotel yeah i mean it was i think it was just so immersive that 
I think the concept was great. Maybe if it would have been a smaller place, yeah. they I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. You have to be really into Star Wars to be able yeah. to uh, bite off that big burrito. I would have done it, I think, eventually, if the price point maybe come down a little bit. I just couldn't justify, you know, six grand for a two-night stay. I no. just couldn't do it. No. Yeah, and I think that's what most families sort of felt like, too, was... Yeah maybe refurbish it to where they put a pool in and they do that sort of thing and it becomes more, yeah. you know, because you can have character actors at a mm-hmm. hotel like they do everywhere else yes. and still be very immersive without yeah. it being... Or maybe it's a half a day thing or a yeah. meal or something like I that. I mean, you can stay I, there seven days or something if you yeah. wanted to. I think the Imagineers are going to be put to the test on this one yeah. on the resort side. Yeah I, d- yeah, I don't like that they close it down so fast, but, you know, Disney's smart about, hey, we're losing money, let's do this. Yeah, you that's know? right. Let's shift. Yeah. That's right. So. Steve Bridgman, thank you so much. Thank you. I will let you get on to your tax person. I know. Lovely. <laughs> it's going to be such a great experience, I'm sure. And I will report back to you on how Mo Pitney is tonight. Please do. Thank you again. Yeah. And thank your listeners. And go out and follow me on all my Instagrams and Facebooks and TikToks and all that. Steve Bridgman. <laughs> we'll take care. We'll see you soon. Thank you. Thank you for joining us in the Storyteller Studio with Tim Larson and Liz Wilder where everything begins with the story.